for your blessings on Pastor Billy as he brings the word. May our hearts and our ears be open to hear and receive your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. <clears throat> well, hallelujah. I, um, I will not be sharing with you this morning in my usual smooth tenor uh, uh, voice. Uh, um, if, you, if you've heard me sing, you know I have never had a smooth tenor voice, but uh, um, uh, uh, I'm going to do my best to, uh, to work through this with you uh, this morning and share with you a little bit uh, the word of the Lord. Last week, uh, a whole bunch of you uh, joined thousands of our brothers and sisters from the LCMC in observing three days of prayer. And I just want you to know how grateful I am to you for being such a praying church, for being such a praying people, how grateful I am that we have such a rich heritage here in this place of being a praying people. And so this morning we're going to start a, a new teaching series we're calling A House of Prayer. Uh, and I want to take uh, um, a, a few minutes this morning just to address the question, what does it mean? Uh, to be a house of prayer. Uh, but to be honest with you, what I really hope to do in the next few minutes is simply to completely revolutionize everything you think about uh, a prayer, everything you understand about prayer. So if I can do that, I would feel successful this morning. Uh, um, so that's what we're going to attempt to do. We'll see how that works out over the next few minutes. Uh, but to get us focused and moving, would you stand with me, please, in honor of the Word of God? We're going to read together Matthew 21, verses 12 to 13, Matthew 21, verses 12 to 13, and then 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. Uh, I'll read the plain text. If you'll join me in reading the highlighted portions, that way we'll walk through this, uh, these passages together. Uh, 1 Matthew 21, verses 12 and 13, this is what the Bible says. Jesus entered the temple area and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. And then 1 Peter 2, 5, where the apostle Peter writes this, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord, this is the word of the Lord, and you may be seated. Uh, can you guys hear me okay? Uh, uh, okay, I just didn't know if you may need to push my volume up a little more than, than typically this morning. For a couple of months now, uh, Dr. Dave Paulson has been encouraging me to take some time and focus us, uh, help us focus a little bit on the subject of prayer, and I'm generally grateful for, uh, to Dr. Paulson for doing that. Actually, the impetus for his request that we take some time and consider uh, the issue of prayer is a fantastic example of humility and of what it means to see yourself really and truly as a piece of the larger puzzle of this local fellowship at Resurrection Church. So as it turns out, some time ago, our youth pastor, Christian Reynolds, was bringing the word on a Sunday morning, and that particular uh, message of his as a part of that particular message of his, he urged the congregation to begin to pray for young people on a regular basis, to pray for youth in the world in general, and to pray for the youth in our church in particular. And Dr. Paulson, as a faithful part of this fellowship, took up that call. 
He reached out to Christian to ask him uh, uh, to explain to him some of the particular needs and challenges facing young people today. And then he began to pray for them daily. To my knowledge, he is still praying for youth daily. He actually had been doing that for a couple of months before he reached out to me and said, yeah, as a praying people, uh, let's, let's talk some about issues related to prayer. Now, I don't know how many of you, other than Dr. Paulson, took up that call from Christian to pray regularly for our youth and young people. But I can tell you that as a father of eight, three of them in our youth ministry right now, as a grandfather of four, I am super grateful to Dr. Paulson, and I'm super grateful to any of the rest of you who take time regularly to pray for our youth and to pray for our young people. Now, a few minutes ago, we read together a little bit of the historical account from the Bible of a time Jesus entered the temple in Jerusalem and drove out all the people who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers. He overturned the benches of the folks selling doves. And then he said to anyone who would listen to him, it is written, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. Now that house of prayer comment from Jesus is actually a quote from the Old Testament book of Isaiah where God the Father, through the prophet Isaiah, says, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. That raises the question, what does it mean to be a house of prayer? What does it mean in general? And more particularly, what does it mean right now today for you and for me? And I want to take a moment and address that just a little bit this morning. Now, the background of this whole issue is found right there in that Isaiah passage in Isaiah 56, which is actually a passage about the salvation God offers. It's a passage about the Lord's great God-sized desire to see people saved and restored and living with him. But within that larger salvation context, God makes mention a couple of times, actually, in that passage of his house being a house of prayer. And when you look at those mentions in the passage, you can conclude pretty quickly that simply uh, stated, a house of prayer is a place of worship and communion with God. A little earlier in this same verse, a little earlier in Isaiah 56, 7, for example, God says this, These I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. And then he goes on to say, For my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. But if you look carefully, you'll notice here that a house of prayer is a house of worship a place where the people of God present their worship to God, where they express their love and devotion to God in offerings and in sacrifices and in prayer. And if you look carefully, you'll notice as well that God promises to respond to that worship, saying in this passage, it will be accepted. And so putting that together 
we can conclude, I think, that a house of prayer is a place, very simply, of worship and communion with God. It's a place to express your love to God and then to encounter and receive his response to that expression. Which means, by the way, listen, in your prayers, listen, in your own prayers and in your own prayer time, it is critical that you focus on these two things. That you focus yourself and you focus your time and you focus your prayers primarily on worship and communion with God. To make sure your prayers are expressions fundamentally of worship and adoration. And that they're not simply lists of requests and petitions. That in your prayer, you're not just asking God to do stuff for you. Or asking God to do stuff for your grandma. But in your prayer, you are communicating love and thanksgiving to God. Think about the model prayer that Jesus gave us in the gospel. The prayer that he said, pray like this. It begins, our Father in heaven, hallowed is your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The entire prayer begins with its complete, total focus on God. On who he is, what he's like, and what he wants to do in the world. It begins with a focus on God and the desires of God. Too often, I fear, for far too many people, prayer turns into little more than ticking off a list of wants and needs. Running down a list of things we desire. Running down a list of prayer requests. Hi, God. Will you please heal this and fix that? And do this and give me that. But while prayer may certainly include petitions just like that, prayer is most certainly not just petitions like that. And as we learn about God's house of prayer, we'll find out it's not even primarily petitions like that. So let me just stop here and ask a question. What do your prayer times look like? Are they, in fact, primarily running through a list of petitions? Dare I ask, are they exclusively running through a list of petitions? And I would ask this, how would you like it? If somebody you really, really love only ever talked to you when and only ever talk to you about the things they wanted you to give them and do for them. God's house of prayer is not just a house of asking for stuff. And I would encourage you to write that down. God's house of prayer is not just a house of asking for stuff. It's a house of worship and communion with him. And your prayer times must not be simply running down a list of wants and needs. Rather, they must become genuine times of connection 
with God. Expressing your faith to God, expressing your love to God, reaching out to connect with God. And when that's your approach to prayer, when you treat prayer first and foremost as worship and communion with God, then a house of prayer also is a place of peace and joy and fulfillment in his presence. Because as you turn your worship and attention and affection toward God, you find there in his presence his peace and love and righteousness and joy. Simply put, listen, when you commune with God, are you listening? When you commune with God, you receive communion with God. You experience the presence of God. You experience who God is and what he's like. Notice how God said, speaking of this house of prayer, these I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. And so again, from this background passage in Isaiah, you find that a house of prayer is a place of worship and communion with God where you find peace and joy and fulfillment in God. As you reach out to connect with God and as he responds to that reaching out and touches and blesses you with his presence and his person. This house of prayer for all nations then is a place for all nations, a place for all peoples, black and white and rich and poor and male and female and Jew and Gentile, to come into the presence of God to meet with him and commune with him. It is not, first and foremost, a place to gather to pray for the nations. That's not what the passage means. It is, in fact, not, first and foremost, frankly, listen carefully, it is not primarily, first and foremost, a place to gather to pray for anything. Rather, it is a place to come and pray to the Lord, to gather to worship and commune with God. If I could do anything this morning to begin to revolutionize your thinking and understanding of prayer, it would be to change the prepositions you use with regard to it. To change your focus from praying for to praying to and communing with. Praying for this or that places your focus firmly on this or that. But praying to the Lord places your focus firmly on the Lord, even when talking to him about this or that. Communing with the Lord puts your focus on the Lord, even when communing over this or that. If you get nothing else I say this morning, please try to get this. Prayer is not some ritual act or religious scam by which you try to get stuff you want. Prayer is worship and communion with God by which you connect with God and through which you encounter the presence of God. And while we're still here in this background passage in Isaiah, let me just point out as well that this communion with God is open to everybody. I want to make sure you understand how incredibly generous God is with his invitation to come and commune with him. If you'll come to him through Jesus, you are welcome in his family. If you will yield your heart to God, you are welcome 
in his presence. No matter where you come from and no matter what you come out of. Listen, here's the background to this background passage. And Isaiah, listen to Isaiah 56, 1 to 7. This is what the Lord says. Maintain justice and do what is right, for my salvation is close at hand. And my righteousness will soon be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this, the man who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath without desecrating it, and keeps his hand from doing evil. This is what God's saying. He's saying, listen, I am ready to reveal, I am ready to pour out my righteousness and my salvation. And what he's saying is, I will pour it out on anybody who will trust me and commit to follow me, who will honor me and my covenant with them. The passage continues. Let no foreigner who has bound himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let not any eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree. Listen, even in the Old Testament, the grace and the mercy and the salvation of God were never just for the Jews. Any foreigner, any Gentile, any non-Jew could come to the Lord and throw himself on the mercy of the Lord and be received by the Lord. The reference here to eunuchs, to those who could not bear children, either because of some health issue or, or because they had been literally physically castrated, the reference here to eunuchs makes it clear, listen, to, listen, that the kingdom of God is a place of healing and restoration and welcome for people who have been broken and hurt in this world. It continues, for this is what the Lord says, the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will not be cut off. And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to serve the Lord, to love the name of the Lord and to worship him, all who keep my Sabbath without desecrating it and who hold fast to my covenant, these will I bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Please listen. It doesn't matter where you're from, and it doesn't matter how you're broken. Wherever or whatever you've come out of, your family background doesn't matter, your juvenile record doesn't matter, your education or lack thereof doesn't matter. All nations, all peoples, no matter their backgrounds or their brokenness, are welcome to come and know the Lord if they will love him and honor him and follow him. And let me stop here for just a moment because the language God uses in this passage seems to suggest that there's either a fear of rejection or else a complete hopelessness on behalf of some of these people. And the Lord's point is clearly to call you out of that fear of rejection and out of that place of hopelessness and to assure you that if you will come to him, surrendering to him as Savior and Lord, acknowledging him as God and acknowledging your need for him in your life, trusting in him and his covenant of grace, he will welcome you into joy and communion with him in his house of prayer. And lest you worry this morning 
that God may somehow be done inviting new folks, welcoming new folks into this grace. He actually concludes this passage with a promise. The sovereign Lord declares, he who gathers the exiles of Israel, I will gather still others to them besides those already gathered. So if you're here this morning and you've yet to surrender your life to God through Jesus, he wants you to know he's still in the gathering business. He's still in a welcoming mode. And if you will come to him through Jesus, he'll welcome you this morning and bring you into communion with him where you can begin to know the love and the peace and the joy and fulfillment that's only found in his presence. Now, sadly, in the Old Testament in particular, the people began to put their focus on the physical temple building in Jerusalem. That was, in their minds at least, the house of prayer God cared about. But in the heart and mind of God, his focus has always been his people. In fact, when the people made a mess of temple worship, turning it into a mockery, uh, into a den of thieves rather than a place of communion with God, well, in Jeremiah 7, God promised he was going to destroy that temple, in part as a response to their sinfulness, and in part to make it clear that the temple building was never his focus in the first place. Even here in Isaiah 56, the Lord reveals that his heart is for the people, not for the building. In verse 3, for example, it says that the issue of exclusion isn't exclusion from the temple, but exclusion from the people. Let no foreigner who has bound himself to the Lord say the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. From the very beginning, the Lord's focus and plan for his house and for his dwelling has always been his people. And the New Testament makes that infinitely clear. Listen just to a couple of verses from the New Testament. The Apostle Paul writes to the Corinthians and says, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? Or as Paul writes to the Ephesians, in him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Or take the words of the Apostle Peter, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And here's the point. God's heart and God's plan has always been to live in and with and through a people. And he wants you to be that people. God says, my house will be a house of prayer. And I believe in saying that he is referring primarily to you. As you, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. God wants to build you into a house of prayer to shape you into a people of prayer, to form and fashion you into a people who worship and commune with him, who abide in his presence and experience his love and peace and joy and fulfillment, and then who step out and share those things with the people around you. Before I leave this point in close, I want to be sure you note the unavoidable corporateness of this reality. In Ephesians, Paul writes of the whole building being joined together and rising to become a holy temple. This is a setup in which you, plural, in which you, corporately, are being built together. Listen, these scriptures are not about you as an individual. 
but rather they are about you together. They are about us together. You together are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. This house of prayer that God desires, this house of prayer that God is building is a corporate house. A house in which, according to the Apostle Peter, you as an individual are not the house. Rather, you are one of the stones. So that you, like living stones, are being built together, assembled together, fit and united and connected together with all those other stones out there to become a spiritual house. You, as an individual, are not the house but you are an important part of it. In other words, you're a piece of the puzzle. And if your piece is missing, things don't look right. So let me say it again. This whole house of prayer dream of God, where his people worship and commune with him, and where, where he lives and operates through them by his spirit, is not about you individually. It's not about you individually being a great intercessor. It's not about you individually shaking the heavens with your prayers or moving the Congress with your prayers or raising the dead with your prayers. It's about you individually. And you 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 and me coming together as the people of God, fitting together like pieces in a puzzle until the greater whole comes into view and God gets what he wants. So what does it mean to be a house of prayer? It means to honor and fulfill God's desire that you join together with the people of God in order to worship and commune with God. That together as the people of God, you treat prayer, listen, not as a way to finagle from God the handful of things you want this week, but instead that you treat prayer like time with God in the presence of God. Worshiping and communing with God, enjoying the beauty and the joy of his presence, and then stepping out to share those things with the people around you. Prayer is about worship and communion with God. It is not, as I said earlier, some ritual act or religious scam by which you try to get stuff you want. If you talk to Christians, and if they would be honest with you, the truth is so very many professing Christians today genuinely dislike prayer. They hate the thought of prayer meetings. They, they assiduously avoid going into their prayer closet. And I believe it is fundamentally because they do not understand prayer. They see prayer as asking God for stuff. And when sometimes they don't get the stuff they ask for, they feel bad. They feel like they've failed. Or they feel like prayer has failed. Or worst of all, they feel like God has failed them. They conclude prayer doesn't work. Or at least prayer doesn't work for me. And they don't want to pray anymore because they don't want to be disappointed. I can't tell you how many Christians feel that way 
about prayer, but it's a staggering amount. But when you understand prayer for what it really is, worship and communion with God, in which you reach out to talk with God, exposing yourself to God, which includes sometimes sharing your wants and needs with God, but just as one part of some much greater whole. When you understand prayer for what it really is, I sincerely doubt you will ever be disappointed by prayer again. God is calling you to be formed together into his house of prayer, to join together with one another, to worship and commune and connect with him, and then step out and share him with everyone around you. May you and I be faithful to the call. May we understand prayer for what it is designed to be. And may we use it to grow closer to God and use that to bless the world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the power and clarity of your word. For, for, for being so kind and gracious to us to share your word with us that we might know who you are, that we might know what you're like, that, that we might know what we're supposed to be like and how we're supposed to function in this world. Father, forgive us for confusing so very many things, even, even something as fundamental as prayer. Forgive us for treating it like asking for stuff and help us be restored to the reality of communing with you, worshiping you, and connecting with you in the gift of prayer. And from that place, change us and use us to change the world. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.